Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Truth is important, and what we believe to be true, it impacts everything. It impacts how we see the world, how we view ourselves, and most importantly, how we understand God. Our Gospel reading today, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, if you live in it, if you remain in it, you will be my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Of course, the trouble is, we can all agree that the truth is important. But knowing what is true, being able to distinguish between what is true and what is a lie, that's where things get a little more tricky. So, show of hands, how many of you ever played or heard the game Two Truths and a Lie? Most of you, for those of you who... uh, are not familiar with it or weren't brave enough to raise your hand, the way this game works, uh, typically someone will you know, say three, three sentences, three statements. Two of them are true, one of them a lie, hence the name two truths and a lie, and you have to determine what is true and what is false. So we're going to play that game this morning, and because we happen to be here gathered in the sanctuary for worship, we're going to do this with Scripture. We're going to go all the way back, And one of the statements I'm going to make is going to be a lie from Scripture, and the other are going to be two truthful statements. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning to one of the very first lies. It's the first statement. You may eat from any tree in the garden, except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The second, you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or even touch it. If you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on that day you will die. So these three statements, anyone brave enough to venture a guess as to which is the false one? See, a little bit of smattering of everything. Everybody's holding up their hands. It's number two. These were words spoken by Eve to the serpent. If you didn't catch it, It's a tricky statement in that, like the worst lies, the most deceptive ones, it's a mix of truth and falsehood. God did say, you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But God never said that they couldn't touch it. We don't know where that line came from, if it was uh, something that Adam added on as extra protection to just keep his wife a little bit further away from the tree. We don't know if Eve added that herself. All we know is that that one addition to the truth was the crack, all the crack that the serpent needed to drive a lasting wedge between God and humanity. Now, I bring all of that up in the, this whole two truths and a lie thing because Actually, what we see going on in our gospel reading, this very short bit of dialogue, we see two truths and one lie. And these two truths that we see in this gospel reading, they stand at the heart of the Reformation, at the heart of our confession as Christians about our relationship with God and this world. Now, the first lie and the first truth are closely linked. Jesus, again, at the beginning of this dialogue, he says, if you abide in my word, if you remain in it, you will be my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But without missing a beat, those who are gathered there, they reply back, we're children of Abraham. 
We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say we will be free? That's the lie right there. We are children of Abraham and we've never been slaves to anyone. If that were fact checkers 2,000 years ago, they would have had a field day with that statement. We're children of Abraham. We're never, we've never been slaves of anyone. Really? You've just made this connection. You standing here, this connection to your forefather Abraham. As children of Israel, how can you say with a straight face, we've never been slaves of anyone? It was the children of Abraham who were enslaved for hundreds of years in Egypt. Your whole national identity is wrapped up in in that moment, that moment of rescue when God sent Moses to bring you out of slavery from Egypt. But okay, that was a long time ago if you forgot that one. What about the Babylonians? You were all carried off into exile as slaves. And even barring that, what is your life circumstance right now as I'm talking to you? You might not bear the name slaves, but you are under Roman rule and occupation. You are anything but free. But you notice Jesus doesn't bring up any of that. Instead, he replies with what is the first truth that they and we need to hear. What he does is he goes to the deeper truth that they had all missed, even though they missed the obvious past history of their own people. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin, he said. That is the first truth. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And this is where we come in too, because this is one of those uncanny conversations between Jesus and the people around him that you can imagine without a lot of work happening today. And if Jesus were to come in and walk down the aisle and say to us, if you abide in my word, if you remain in my word, you will be my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I can imagine many people, many Christians even, saying to Jesus kind of quizzically, Lord, we've never been slaves of anyone. So how can you say we'll, we'll be free? We live in America, arguably one of the most free societies that exists today or maybe has ever existed. We've got a Bill of Rights that details our freedoms. We have free will. We are our own Masters, so how can you say we will be free? And to that, Jesus would give the same reply. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. See, the the freedom that we believe that we have apart from Christ, even this notion of free will that we banter about back and forth on occasion, imagine... It's like you make a decision to, to go skydiving. So you get in your head that you, know, you decide, you know, I think skydiving's a good idea. And so you call up the airport, you schedule, uh, schedule your appointment, you decide, I'm going to exercise my freedom by going skydiving. And so you're, you're driving down I-70, but all of a sudden you hit a pothole, you lose control of your car, it slams into the median, and while you're waiting for the tow truck to come and tow your total car, 
back to the shop, you miss your appointment to go skydiving. And that opportunity that you had, that exercise of your freedom is something that you can't really take a part of anymore. But let's say you decided you're going to go skydiving and you make it to the airport safely. You make it to your appointment, but you get there and they ask you, well, can we see the certification that you've taken all of the classes that you need before we let you jump out of our airplane with a parachute attached? You say, well, I, I didn't bother with all of that. I just want to go skydiving. You know, I paid the money, take me up, but they will refuse you. You have the opportunity to go skydiving, but you don't have the ability. You haven't been trained to do it. Let's say you did your due diligence. You make it to the airport safely. You've taken all of the classes. You've done all the prep work, all the training. So they take you up in the airplane, and once you hit your cruising altitude, however many thousands of feet up that is, they open up the door. They instruct you to strap on your parachute. You do that, and you, you grab the bar above the door. You look down, and you see the world in miniature below you. Houses, cars, roads, fields. And in that moment, you come to your senses. (laughs) You say to yourself, you know what? I really don't want to jump out of this airplane. You go, you carefully back up and you sit back down in the seat and you strap yourself back in. You have the opportunity, you have the ability, but now you no longer have the freedom, desire to do that. Let's say all of those things are taken care of and you make it to the airport safely. You've taken all of the classes that you need to. You have the ability to do it. They take you up in the airplane. You hit your cruising altitude. You strap on your parachute. You hold in the bar as they open up the door. And you look down and you think to yourself, this is the best idea I've ever had. And you jump. And in those first seconds, you experience that exhilaration of free fall. And again, you think to yourself, this is awesome. This is the best idea I have ever had. And you thrill in that freedom that you're exercising there in that moment. But unbeknownst to you, your parachute is defective. And in a moment, you're going to be frantically pulling on that ripcord to no avail. And this thing that you've done so freely, that is giving you so much joy in this moment, it is going to kill you. And there is no way around it. No way to rescue yourself. No rope to grab onto. No way to hit the pause and rewind button. You can't go back. That is what sin does to us. It always deceives. It always ensnares. And ultimately, it always kills And because it is so deceptive, we often live enslaved, believing that we are free. Just as in those moments of free fall, you think, this is the greatest idea I have ever had. The reality is that apart from Jesus, everything in this world entangles, ensnares, and enslaves us. We're bound by chains, chains that have enwrapped us. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a belief that we can control our own exercise of power. Maybe it's fame. Maybe it's 
love or our relationships. But make no mistake, apart from Christ, all of these things bind us and enslave us. This is just how sin works. And so it is true what Jesus said. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. There's no way around it. But all of us at some point have that moment of clarity, that ripcord moment where we're pulling on the ripcord and then we frantically realize in that moment that we've got a problem. In those moments, our eyes are open and we can see maybe for the first time clearly that there are things that entangle us and enslave us. But one of the things we also realize very quickly once our eyes are open to the reality of our sin is that there's nothing we can do to change that reality. No matter how hard we try, these things enslave us and we can't do anything. And it's in those moments we need that second truth that Jesus speaks. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the good news of the Gospel. This was that light bulb moment for Martin Luther. Realizing that his salvation, his standing before God, didn't matter. It didn't, wasn't dependent on how much money he had. It wasn't dependent on how many things he could remember to confess before God. That in Christ, all of that was already dealt with and wrapped up and left on the cross. So to go back to our skydiving analogy, it's like this, you jump out of that airplane with your defective chute, unbeknownst to you. A second person jumped. Jesus saw the trouble you had and he dove for you. Wrapped you in his arms, took your defective chute off, put his on your back and pulled the cord. He died so that you could live. And in those minutes as you float to earth, in that time you have maybe the first measure of freedom you ever had. Freedom to do one of two things. You can decide, I don't like this. I like what was happening before. You can take that shoot off and continue doing exactly what you were doing before, falling to your death. Or, as you're floating down, you can thank God for what He's done for you in Christ knowing that your safety, your salvation in that moment, it's not because of anything you did. It was everything you did that got you in that situation in the first place. It's all on Christ. And the glory is His alone. These two truths are at the heart of the Reformation and the heart of our faith. This truth that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And this truth If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In Jesus' name, amen.